looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. This brand is truly exciting and I'm so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, this is Amanda Wish, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.
Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I tend to think I have a couple working brain cells. However, this next guest is a jack of most trades, it seems like. And I've known this guy a little over a year because of a friend of the show, Ross Owen Williams. But this gentleman definitely keeps himself busy with many different projects, has written several Russell related books. And somewhere I just saw this week, he, which he has every right to brag, posting on social media, that he has earned his MBA. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I don't think so. Winner, winner, sheen dinner. Some of his books that he was involved with was everybody's favorite, Life is Short and So Am I, Dylan Postle's book with Ross Owen Williams in 2019. His first book, I know I'm jumping all over the place, was The Real Sky in a Room, Dan Severn, another friend of the show. He also did the autobiography of Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. And his latest book, which we'll touch on as well, is Truth Be Told, Brian B. Blair's book. This next guest, Ian Douglas. Ian, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderfully, and uh, thank you for that introduction. Um, wow, you, I, it's, it's one of those cases where you earn more degrees during your introduction than you ever did in the classroom. Well, I did hear somewhere, and like I said, I've gotten to know you for about a year here. And folks, I will say that Ian was actually involved probably six, seven months ago with our chat with Lanny Poffo, which was awesome. So go back in our archives and check that out. But I heard somewhere that you joke about that you spent more money on education than probably anything else that you've done. Was that, would you say that's pretty true? Oh, man, um, th- that has to be true. Uh, I can't imagine anything else that I would have spent more money on. And I don't know what that says about me. But yeah, I need to find some other things to blow my cash. up. Yeah, sounds like you might have to go have kids or something, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Well, let me, uh, like I said, you had gotten your MBA. Well, what was your MBA in? Because I know with degrees like that, they specialize in different things. So uh, this was just a standard um, executive master of business administration program. It's through the Quantic School of Business and Technology. It is a relatively new school started about five or six years ago by the team that founded Rosetta Stone. And they did this in collaboration with Georgetown University and NCAD University over in France. So a uh, relatively new program. They tout themselves as the modern MBA, and I enjoyed the program very much. Okay, because I was, and I knew you were working on that based on conversations we've had, but you actually answered the question I was going to ask there as far as, because you said it's a new program, as far as the credibility. But when you have the folks at Rosetta Stone, Georgetown, and the others you listed. And NCAD, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty credible because with the few working brain cells I have, I ask about credibility. But yeah, with 
when it comes to newer programs and education, but at least well, it's not Trump University. We won't go there. Yeah, it's it's one of those cases. It's it's one of those cases where I actually did a fair amount of research into this and looked at what the accrediting bodies require before they will certify a program. And in almost all cases, and especially with business schools, they'll require a school to be in business and actively granting degrees for four, five, or more years before they'll provide the certification for the program. So um, it's one of those cases where even I would be tempted to look at a school and say, well, they're not certified, so it's a fraudulent operation. If schools want to get certified, they have no choice. They're actually required to offer degrees and grant degrees years before they're actually certified by any of the major certifying bodies. Well, with that being said, I probably should notice, but I don't because my sister works in the college system for Rutgers University. She's a honors program. And, but like I said, I don't know the education system as well, obviously, as you do, as she does and whatnot. But when you, the question that stands out for me there, and folks, we'll get into the wrestling stuff in a minute here. I just, doing my homework, I got to ask since it's part of the conversation. With people getting their degrees and stuff, as you described there, prior to having certification, once they get their certification, would they go back and does that do anything with the people that earned degrees prior? Um, it's, it's retroactive. A certification doesn't follow the degree. Certification follows the program. So, for instance, I'll give you a recent example. Johns Hopkins, when they started a business school, Johns Hopkins, obviously a reputable university, usually top 15 to 20 in the country, although I think right now it's sitting at number nine or 10, tied with several others, according to U.S. News reports, the latest um, Hopkins, when they started their business school, their business school had to start from scratch with no certification whatsoever. And I think even that one was within the last 15 years. So, uh, yes, even Hopkins had to award degrees to their business school graduates without certification. And it was a case where Hopkins is just so reputable that no one questioned it and people just assumed that sooner than later the certification would come and it did exactly and that's what i was going to say john when you say johns hopkins university enough said there yeah but when i said in the introduction as we move forward here and but like i said congratulations on the mba thank you very much I, I, know, over with. I know it's yeah it's a lot of work that goes into a program like that but when i said in the introduction that ian is a jack of most trades. The reason I say that is because he studied broadcasting in school. He went to University of Michigan, which you won't see the video, folks, only hear audio this. He is sporting a Michigan hat, Michigan sweatshirt, shown his uh, loyalty. He went to Northwestern University School for Journalism and completed that degree as well. And I made the joke of the education costs. He's completed business-related certification programs throughout the years as well. So he's done a lot on that front. But 
you were a journalist, but also did stuff behind the scenes as well. So did how much did that process besides the education help you when you started getting into the books, which I know you started with Dan Severin? Oh, man. Um, I would love to say that it helped me a great deal, but the, the reality is I, I don't really know that it did. Um, writing the books is primarily just a matter of um, exercising patience, which I did not have when um, when I was at work writing or assisting Severn with the writing of his book, and which I did exhibit in all of the subsequent books that I worked on. And which is why uh, when Severn's book came out, it had, it had several mistakes. Now, I don't take ownership of all of it. I take ownership of much of it. We had, a, we had an editor lined up with What Culture. And we happened to pass the, the book off to What Culture right around the time that what, what Culture was going through their major overhaul. And there was some miscommunication with the editing team at What Culture. And the book got printed with several mistakes in it. And I've, I've apologized to Dan. Dan has accepted my apology. I chalk it up as a lesson learned. And it's something that I have not allowed to happen since. So um, since that initial book, I have read every manuscript three, four, five times to make sure I catch as many errors as possible. And there are always many because I don't, you know, my name, my name is on the cover somewhere, but I'm always handling someone else's life story. And I need to exhibit the proper respect for that, that I'll get another crack at getting my name on another book somewhere down the line. But for some of these guys, it's their only bite at the apple. And I need to make sure I do it perfectly the first time. And I totally agree with that because, and I'm going to be bouncing around here with this books and everything. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, what you described there, as possibly having future cracks at books and everything else. And obviously you started to build a nice reputation for yourself as far as writing books and being a part of these stories. But I was actually thinking about that because your latest book that you were involved with truth be told. And I kind of said something to you privately and I'm going to leave it that because this ain't the time or the place to get into debates and all that stuff mm -hmm. because it's like you said not your story to tell but you're involved with helping them tell their story and the reason i reference truth be told is because i heard different things about certain people and i don't know why it wasn't there i cannot speak for but anyway i'm, I'm now, comfortable getting into whatever you want to get into it's, it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, out of respect, I'm just going to, you know, not dive deep. Okay. But, you know, just respect for all parties because I can't speak for somebody else's story. But like you said, when you're trying to show respect, and I notice especially with the wrestling business, but with Brian's book, and I'll use that because that's the latest project, obviously. Obviously, 
you have many different times that you guys have conversations and interviews and whatnot to put this together. And you go back and go through the manuscript and I'm not going to bore everybody with the minute details of how a book's put together, but were you noticing and not just Brian, but any of your subjects, people saying, Hey, look at this, look, you know, other sources trying to come in and tell you, or maybe try to cut those, these people at the knees. Um, when you say cut cut people or cut people at the knees or cut people off at the knees, what what do you what do you mean by that? Well, when I say that, and I say this because you hear this with, especially you see it a lot in wrestling, where there might be heat amongst certain guys. Where say, obviously with this project you had, uh, unfortunately I just actually mailed it to our wrestling co-host Doctor Mike, which I told you about because mm-hmm. he wants to check out the book and as a historian as well. But like, I know Steve Kern, you talked to, you had a piece done by the immortal Hulk Hogan. And, you know, you had these people that, especially those two, for example, with a, that knew Brian from the Florida territory and back in those days, but sometimes you might have heat with guys. And I'm not saying Brian does or doesn't, I don't know. He does. But, okay. But, you know, I mean, you have people who might not be favorable towards them reach out to you and say, hey, and that's what I mean by cut you, Denise. Did you hear about X, Y, Z? And I can give you a I can give you a perfect example of that without naming any names. OK, um, Brian mentioned to me that he wrestled under a mask when he went to work in the Mid-Atlantic Territory. And so I went through the archives and initially I couldn't find any reference to his time in the Mid-Atlantic Territories or the character that he uh, portrayed when he was wearing a hood. And Brian mentioned a fairly well-known wrestling historian who he does have heat with and said, this person in fact, has a poster of me where I'm wearing the mask. So you can ask him and he'll, and maybe he'll show it to you. And maybe he'll tell you the name of the character I, I portrayed because Brian could not remember the name. So I reached out to that individual. I told him what, I told him what Brian told me. And that individual told me, Brian, is he told me Brian is lying and he either told me Brian never wrestled under a mask or Brian never wrestled in mid-Atlantic it was one or the other or it may have been both I'd have to go back and check the transcript of our exchange and then he said that he didn't have any problem with me but he didn't want anything to do with anything related to a Brian Blair book project. And I told him, I understood that I wasn't aware that there was any heat of that temperature or depth uh, between him and Brian. And I knew there might've been some hard feelings. I didn't know that it was to that extent. And that was that. And then I went on YouTube the very next day and I found footage of what is 
unmistakably Brian wrestling in the Mid-Atlantic Territory against Greg Valentine wearing the mask. So um, I assume the person who told me that Brian was lying actually knew better and was lying himself because he did not want to be of service. So you can you, you can take that for what it is, but if, if that is an example of someone attempting to cut the project off at the knees, then there you have it. I would say yes. But when you did a research, you were saying before you reached out to this party, when you're talking about Brian's book and stuff, and he says, hey, I worked here in the Mid-Atlantic, I did this. You know, you're having these conversations compiling the stories and such. And I could say this with across the board with all four books as well. And by the way, I want to mention before I forget here, because it's right here in my notes, with the Bugsy McGraw story, he also, Ian was also involved with a comic based on the book, which was kind of cool. I'm not a comic guy, but saw that and but anyway, back to the question. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing this homework and compiling all the information for the books and the stories and stuff. Now, obviously, we both know we're semi-smart guys. You more so than me. But Probably. we know. I, I doubt it. But we know everything on the Internet is true. But where do you go to outsource to as far as doing homeworks, whether you're looking at match cards or histories of the territories or whatever, depending on the error you're looking at, what, how do you go about it to make sure the information besides what the subject is telling you is also factual? Well, anything that doesn't make sense or it doesn't make sense at first blush, I will try to cross-reference it with information from as many sources as I can. And I'll give you, I'll give you two examples, two or three examples. I don't think, I don't think Brian will mind this. Um, It has been oft repeated that Brian, you can go online, you can look in several places that Brian said that the killer bees got their name from the 1972 undefeated Miami Dolphins. And um, fortunately, I at least was something of a Dolphins fan. I haven't paid much attention to them for several years now. But um, I thought about that for just a second. And no, the the undefeated 1972 Dolphins defense was known as the no-name defense. The Killer Bees were the early 1980s Miami Dolphins who lost in two Super Bowls. Now, do I think that over time, Brian got it in his head that it would be better if they had been named after the 1972 Dolphins? Uh, Yes, it sounds simpler. It sounds better. Um, Do I think it's an honest mistake? Yes, I do. Do I think the reality is when Brian and um, when Jim and Brian are in the W in a WWF locker room in the middle of 1985, fresh after the Dolphins going to two Super Bowls in four years or something like that, that they said, "Hey, you know the Dolphins team that has that is still active and together, those guys with all the bees." Uh, 
in, in their last names that we should take our name from those killer bees. Yes, I, that is more than likely the real conversation. Brian just got it in his head over time. It was the undefeated team. Um, that's understandable. The other thing, um, Brian mentioned that Brian's mentioned in multiple places that he was in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation before he actually did enter the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Um, we made sure to make that correction in the book. Um, Brian actually checked his passport uh, to figure it out. He saved all his old passports from the 70s and 80s. He saw when it was that he first went to Japan and we figured out that it wasn't that he'd been booked in the World Wrestling Federation prior to his initial run there. It was, he recalled that it was Eddie Graham who reached out to Vince McMahon Sr. on his behalf to assist with the booking because the WWF was rotating people into Japan and then bringing them through Japan into uh, New York because they had the deal going with Inoki. So, okay, I was going to ask about which, because I couldn't remember, but you mentioned it there with Inoki. But go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say those are the sorts of things, um, and you can't fault you can't fault these guys from having hazy memories when they're in thousands of matches over the course of their careers. Um, the fans, frankly, the as far as I'm concerned, the average let's say average hardcore wrestling fan because I'd say there are at least hundreds of thousands of people who, who meet that description. They have, a, they have better recollections of major wrestling events than many of the wrestlers do because you know, they live and die with, with the title changes and the finishes and the sellouts and everything else. And most of the wrestlers during that era are just thinking about doing their jobs, getting paid and moving on to the next territory. Exactly. And with that also being said, I'll put it this way. And I don't know, Brian talked to him one time several years ago before this project, even we talked about having a conversation may happen, may not. I don't know. I can't speak for the future, but two things with what you said, as far as the memory, a it's a business with plenty of chair shots back in the day. So I'm not going to, but that conversation I did have with Brian was pleasant. We, you know what I mean? So I will take it as his word. I can't say I haven't interacted with him too much to make a judgment either way. Mm -hmm. But so I will take him at his word with that. But I am going to put the link, Amazon link, both for Ian's profile, which I just followed the other night, but also to catch where you can get all his books. But also I will put a separate link for Truth Be Told in the outlets for all episodes that go out for this. But going back to you a little bit, sir, when did you become a wrestling fan? Oh, goodness. Um, it had to have been 1986 or 1980, like late 86, early 87. It would have been a syndicated 
uh, broadcast of WWF Superstars or WWF Wrestling Challenge. And I'm sure it was Randy Savage, who was probably the, the first wrestler I saw during an active wrestling match. And I absolutely loved him. And he was a heel and I did not care. He was the most entertaining thing I'd ever seen in my young life at that point. <laughs> now, with that being said, and I heard this on another chat you had, your parents were against you watching wrestling. Is that true? They absolutely were. Um, they just thought, and I, I don't blame them. Um, we had a, our household was relatively conservative in terms of the, the regimen that the children were under, like between this time and this time, you're supposed to be doing your homework this time and this time you're practicing your instruments. And then you have either swim practice or basketball practice or track and field practice or whatever it was, uh, whatever seasonal sport we were involved in. And then you better wrap up your studying because it's bedtime and you have to get up and start it all over again. So uh, there was no time for um, for giving birth or giving rise to any sort of fomenting, shall we say, any sort of violent behavior in the children. So um, if you can... <laughs> If, if you can nip that in the bud simply by getting telling your seven-year-old son not to watch wrestling, uh, you do that. Unfortunately for my parents, they just turned wrestling into the forbidden fruit, and I would sneak into the room to watch it every chance I could. And uh, here we are now 35 years later, and I'm still a wrestling fan and more heavily involved than ever. Well, with that being said, and I know you're on the East Coast, but went to school in Michigan and such, but you said you had conservative upbringing, and I mean this respectfully. Were you were you on the East Coast going up, or were you up in the Michigan area there, Midwest? In, in, I was in the Midwest. I was in Michigan. Okay. Metro, Metro Detroit area. Okay. So I was trying to find it, but I couldn't. I don't feel like digging. Well, I'm guessing when you started uh, becoming a fan and even sneaking since he was from that area. And that's the reason I'm asking this. Were you a fan of George, the animal steel? Um, honestly, I know that was the tail end of his career, obviously, but honestly, no. Um, because he was a, a, because he was a Randy Savage adversary and, and B, I didn't really care where the folks were from. I hadn't developed that sort of regional or city loyalty at that stage. It was all about, um, it was all about who was the most exciting guy on the screen. I didn't care where they came from. So you know, it's well. The other question with that is, as far as your upbringing, and such and no, that's the forbidden fruit, but. With that being said, if and when you should have children of your own, would you be for them watching? Because we obviously know the business has changed since the late 80s there. But would you be open to them watching what we have currently? Or are you more along the lines of your parents? 
Oh, man, that is an excellent question. I mean, I guess it's a matter of, I guess it would be a matter of monitoring my children and seeing what sort what sorts of behaviors uh, wrestling motivated them to replicate. Um, you know, as long as it didn't cause them to become destructive and as long as I could observe them and see that their fandom was healthy, I would probably be all for it. I, in, in the same way that I would be all for them being fans of football, boxing, or MMA, as long as they didn't come home from school with concussions or with notes from the principal saying that they were starting fights on the playground. <laughs> and I'll put it this way, as long as at least they finished a fight. No, no I'm kidding, you know. <laughs> Don't start it, but finish it. But different mentalities, that's for sure. Oh, but I heard you also mentioned that you were an overachiever if i have this word as far as your athletic ability because i heard like me you were a little better than me from what i've heard a very competitive swimmer um i think what i said was that i'm not overachiever that i'm overrated <laughs> um and 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 here's what i mean by that i okay. was i was what I would consider to be a good, but not great swimmer in high school. I could qualify for the state championships, but if, you know, I'd go to states and get destroyed. Um, my, my wife, I would consider to ha have been an outstanding swimmer. She was a multi-time All-American at Northwestern and also swam at the World Championships in 2009. She was an amazing swimmer. And um, by staying in relatively good shape um, for the, what would it have been? For the 15 or so intervening years since I stopped swimming, I was able to hop back in the water and be very competitive and do very well in master swimming meets. And then I was able to get on the university, not the University of Michigan, the Michigan master swimming long distance relay team and win a few national championships with them. Now, um, if you ask me if I was carried to those championships by superior teammates, I would tell you that is absolutely true. Uh, hence me telling you that I'm overrated because if you just, if you just read the bullet points, um, three years as a U.S. Master Swimming All-American swimmer, uh, four different All-American awards in total through U.S. Master Swimming. Uh, they don't, they don't offer the, they, they don't provide the small print that I might've been the slowest person on that relay team. <laughs> and that there were individual All-Americans on those very same relay teams. But um, if you ask me about it, I'll be the first one to tell you. Yeah, I was a uh, distance guy. I wasn't, you know, as my strength, mm -hmm. but I would definitely agree with you on that as far as, you know, the competitiveness there. But mm -hmm. it's funny because you said you jumped back into the pool 15 years after being a competitive swimmer, I guess, on a full time basis is the best way to put it. That muscle memory is a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> when it comes back to. It is. I had to, 
You know, it took me seven or it, it took me seven or eight trips up and down the pool to remember that I was or to recall the proper way to do a flip turn. I'd been doing them all wrong. Oh yeah. And the and the, and the hands in uh, ab- <laughs> absolutely. Everything. Um, yes. But you know, after after a week or so, it wasn't so bad. But you know, it's one of those cases where I would, you know, if I'm on the elliptical getting my cardio in, like before I got back into swimming and I'm I'm sitting there cranking away saying, yeah, this is, this isn't so bad. If I got back in the water right now, I'd be, I'd be much better than I was in high school. And it's, you know, I forgot what the pain of moving against constant resistance is really like. And I hopped in the water, swam the first two laps after 15 to 16 years off. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I had a little bit of a year or two breaking at my top you know, training level, I was doing at least two to two and a half miles. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, within the water and all, and I, I wouldn't break a sweat thinking about it. Yeah. A couple of year break. It's like same thing. I'm going, what the hell did I sign up for, for whatever it was again to get back in the water? Yeah. You wonder what you're doing there. You're thinking of all the more productive things you could be doing instead of enduring that pain exactly it's like i'd be doing this well you know this is later on but i'd be going for something like this but <laughs> yeah show my favorite bottle of whiskey a bottles. nice irish whiskey over there yes sir but anyway to wrap up like i said we are going to have links to ian's amazon profile a link to truth be told because that's exclusively on amazon correct correct which I got to ask, I, I know like Dylan's book was ECW Press, and I'm not sure about the other two, but this was a truly independent project, correct? Correct. So if you are a fan of the 70s and 80s, please check out Truth Be Told. And thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it, as always. Aloha, and congratulations on the NBA. Thank you. Very much. Well earned, and I'll have a drink for you. (laughs) Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hi, my name is Ariel Teal Toombs, daughter of the legendary Rowdy Roddy Piper and sister of the less legendary Colt Toombs. And you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. 